You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Uh, it's so wonderful to celebrate Megan's baptism today. Uh, and again, a special welcome to you if you've come along today uh, to be part of this great celebration. Uh, one of the aspects that I love in the baptism service uh, is the image of light uh, that forms part of that service where we, uh, we light the candle uh, and uh, we have the response, God has called you out of darkness, uh, and then we say, shine as a light in the world. Uh, and really, uh, my question for today as we think about this Bible passage is, what does it look like? to shine as a light in the world. If, if God calls us to live a life that is different, that is distinct, that looks different from some of the darkness that we see in the world, what does it look like to shine as a light in the world? Now, I'm hoping that you're interested in this question for one of two reasons today. Uh, firstly, if you yourself are a baptised person, a follower of Jesus who have entered into the Christian life, and would call yourself a Christian person seeking to live God's way and follow Jesus, uh, then as we come here today, you should be thinking, what does it look like for me to live differently, to live God's way, to shine as a light in the world, so that people notice that God's way is good and beneficial? What does it look like to shine as a light in the world? Because God has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. One of the great things about baptism is hopefully it is a reminder for all of us who have also been baptised about the commitments that we have made, about the journey we have entered into, into the life of faith, um, and recommitting ourselves uh, every time that we have a baptism service to that life of following Jesus throughout our entire life. But you might be interested in this question from another reason. You might be with us today and you might be visiting uh, and you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a follower of Jesus. Maybe you were baptised as a child, but um, it may not be as significant in your life uh, in terms of the way you identify as a follower of Jesus today. And, and yet you might be interested in what Christianity is about. And so I hope this is an interesting question for you. If you are thinking about Jesus and what he's on about, if you're thinking about what the Christian life might entail if you were to follow Jesus? What is different? What is distinct? Is there anything radical about following Jesus and being one of his disciples? Then I hope that you will listen uh, to what we're talking about today with that in mind, thinking about what would it involve if I were to be a follower of Jesus or take seriously uh, the vows that were made for me in baptism uh, and seek to follow after Jesus in my own life. So we're doing this series from 1 John and we've called it Walk in the Light, which is one of the key themes that John writes about in this letter. And really, shining as a light in the world, standing out as distinct, is pretty parallel with this idea of walking in the light that John talks about. Uh, it's a call to live differently, to live God's way and to reflect his character. Last week John said to us that God is light, God is wonderfully, holy, morally pure, distinct and different. God is light. So followers 
of him must also walk in the light and align their ways with God's ways. Now, as I said, this Bible passage that we've had today that Darren read to us so well uh, is long and it's pretty complicated. Uh, and maybe you're thinking, what's, what's that all about? Well, I think you can break it down into uh, that John is giving us three tests or three measures about how we are going as we seek to walk in the light. Um, now, this past week, uh, VCE exams have, have finished. Maybe some of your kids or grandkids uh, have been doing uh, VCE exams. Maybe some of you uh, have done VCE exams uh, and just finished them up. And I, I don't know how you react to tests. Um, you might be repressing the negative experiences of tests since primary school uh, because uh, you just hate tests so much. I had a, a friend who studied to be a doctor and uh, he said to me that every time spring uh, came along each year, the flowers started coming out and the weather turned warmer and the bees uh, were, were in the air, which is normally a really positive and nice thing. He got this sick feeling in his stomach because he was so conditioned that spring meant end-of-year exams, because he'd been doing them for so many years, that he could never enjoy spring again. Uh, and you might have negative reactions uh, to tests, um, but at their best, the purpose of a test is to gauge how we're going, isn't it? Uh, we can think that we know things or that we're going okay, and then when you've got to sit a test, sometimes it reveals you're not going as well as you thought you were. Uh, so I updated my first aid qualification recently, and part of that was doing online uh, units. Um, and you read stuff about snake bites, and you think, yeah, 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 yep, know all that, yep, yep, got that all in my head. And then there's a quiz at the end of the unit, and it asks something about what happens when you get stung by a box jellyfish, and you think, I don't even remember reading, reading that. I don't know how to answer that. You can think you're going okay, can't you? And then the test comes along and say, okay, let's, let's measure that. And that's kind of what John's doing. This is not about head knowledge. This is not about knowing the answers in an academic way. This is a practical test. Probably with the first aid example, it's more about, yeah, I think I can tie bandages and help someone if they break their arm. The real test comes when you have to demonstrate it or someone does break their arm in front of you, can you uh, follow through with your knowledge in a practical way? So uh, John is giving us three tests and we're going to look at them uh, in turn. The first test uh, for how we're going on, in walking in the light uh, comes in verses 3 to 6, if you've got your Bibles there. And the question really is asking, are we keeping God's commands. It's kind of like a, a moral test of how we're going, a test of obedience, and it's summed up pretty well in verses 3 and 4. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. So notice that the question is framed, or the test is framed positively and negatively. Positively, we know that we know God if we keep his commands. And negatively, if we claim that we know God, but we don't do what he says, then we're lying and the truth isn't in us. Now, John doesn't mince his words. He's pretty black and white in the way that he states things, and he wants to challenge our practice. Now, we need to be careful here when we're talking about God's commands because John is not speaking about just keeping some formal list of rules that God has given us 
in a sterile, distant kind of way. Some people have a view about Christianity that it's all about rule-keeping. Maybe that's your own view as you come here today, that Christianity is just about a list of do's and don'ts, uh, and if you keep these rules, then you'll be okay with God. But that is not what Christianity is about at all. Everything that John says here is in the context of relationship. And the Christian faith is all about relationship. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, not keeping a list of rules. John talks here about knowing God. If you know God, then you'll keep his commandments. Um, Knowing God is a relational term. It's not knowing about God, studying facts about him, but actually knowing him in a personal way as a personal God who loves us, who made us, and who wants to be in a relationship with us. And it's from the basis of knowing God, John says, that we will keep his commandments. Uh, And John goes on in verse 5 to say that obeying God's word is actually an outworking of our love for him. Um, again, challenging the sort of sentimental view we can have about love. Uh, Our society often has a very sentimental view about love, that love is just doing what you feel like. Uh, If you've got desires, you you follow them, and you just uh, do what you feel like doing. But in the Bible, love has boundaries and structure and shape to it. Um, And that is what John is saying here, that part of our love for God and our relationship with, with God will have some structure and some rules that God gives us for our good and for living well in the world. Think about it like this. When I was a child and uh, my mum baked a chocolate cake and she put it there on the kitchen bench uh, and she said, uh, Tim, I don't want you to touch that cake. Right? I might follow that instruction because I'm afraid of getting in trouble or because it's, you know, it's a rule and you keep rules. But more likely, I will follow what she said, obey that instruction, because I know my mother. I love her. I respect her. I know that she's got my best interests at heart. I know that she will, in fact, feed me. I won't starve. And, in fact, she might even feed me some of that cake for dessert tonight if I only wait and follow the instruction of not touching it. Uh, I might desire that cake. I might feel hungry or greedy and want to eat that cake, but actually because I know my mother, because I love my mother, I will do what she says, knowing that that's going to be best for me. You see, it's a relational thing, the the obeying of God's commands, and it's a recognition that God made us and made the world and wants us to live in the best possible way. Again, to stress the relational nature of all this, uh, John in verse 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Christianity is not about formal and disembodied rules. Christianity is about modelling ourselves on the life and obedience of Jesus. Uh, Modelling Jesus himself, who was, was God, come amongst us to live in the world and to show us the best way to live as human beings. John says, model yourself on him, live as Jesus did. That's what the life of obedience is all about. So here's the test and here's the measure for all of us this morning as we think about this. Uh, If we're people who claim to follow God and want to be walking in his light, 
How are we going following the commandments that God gives us to keep? Are there areas in our life, if we're honest and we examine ourselves, where we know God has been clear about the way that we should live, and yet we're living in contradiction to the commands of God, the rules that he's given us for best living? Are we seeking in some areas of our life to simply fulfil the desires that we have, rather than acting in true love and obedience to the God who made us and has shaped the world in a certain way that he wants us to live. Um, There's some obvious uh, touch points where we uh, might struggle uh, to be obedient to God. Later in this passage, uh, John challenges us about going the way of the world and following uh, the lusts, um, which is not just about sexual lusts, so it includes that. It's also just going along the way that the world naturally wants us to live, the way that other people around us are living. Uh, And in our society, in our community, we are more likely to sort of do what everyone else is doing and perhaps not following the commands of God. Uh, So as we seek to be people who are wanting to be obedient to God, let me ask a few questions. Uh, Does your internet search history reflect your love and obedience to God? Uh, Does the way that you use your money, does your bank statement reflect your love and obedience to God? Uh, Do the words that you speak to other people, um, well, the words that you speak about other people when they're not present, uh, reflect the love and obedience to God? There's commands in Scripture about gossip uh, and speaking truth uh, and building people up with the words that we speak and not tearing them down. These are just a few areas, but I think are often areas that people struggle in obedience or perhaps don't exercise their love for God but follow desires that they might have or just go with the flow of what's happening around them. Uh, But God commands us in each of these areas, if you know me, if you're in a relationship with me, do as I command. So that's my challenge. If there's an area that you're conscious that you're struggling with, um, we're a community who are here to help each other as we seek to live for God, talk to someone about it. Is there someone in your life group that you can share with or a Christian friend? Uh, is Is this something that you could go and seek prayer ministry for with our prayer ministry team after the service? Is it something that you want to come and talk to me about? Failure's not final. Uh, The whole purpose of the Christian uh, life is about relationship with God and he offers us relationship by forgiving us in his son, Jesus Christ. The Christian message is not obey God's commands so God will love you, It is God loves you and calls you into relationship with himself through Jesus, therefore live the way that he wants you to live. And John reinforces the reality of our life with him in verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. God forgives our failures. We won't obey God perfectly all the time. But as people claiming to follow God, we are called to live differently to look at our lives and examine them and to seek to live obediently in love for God through Jesus Christ, modelling our lives on him. So that's the first test, the commandments of God and how we're going with that. The second test for walking in the light is really in verses 7 to 11. And the question asked is, how are you going loving your brothers and sisters? It's a social test, really, rather than a moral test. And it's summed up, again, negatively first, then positively in verses 9 and 10. 
Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Uh, John's primarily talking here about how Christians treat each other. He's using the language of brother and sister in terms of the Christian family, um, though obviously the Bible calls us to love all of those who are around us. Uh, and John uses very black and white language. He speaks in terms of love and of hate. Uh, and I think that can be a problem for us because sometimes we can justify our behaviour towards other people by saying, oh, well, I don't hate them, okay? I don't hate them, that's too strong. I wouldn't, wouldn't say that. Uh, I was reading a blog post recently where a guy was sharing about how they parent in their family and they've trained their kids um, when food is put on the table and they they eat it, not to say, oh, I hate this, because uh, then the person, you know, the person who's cooked it, and this, this has happened to me uh, in my family, uh, feels pretty, pretty depressed about this meal that they've slaved over to put on the table for the family. And so uh, they train their kids to say, this is not my favourite. <laughs> okay? um, and their youngest daughter, actually, who loves Dora the Explorer, was watching a DVD, except the DVD wasn't working, and so it, it went to the television, which happened to be the news, and it was the US presidential election. Donald Trump was speaking, and the little girl said in a very loud voice, this is not my favourite. <laughs> um, I reckon we're going to be a bit like that with other people. They are not my favourite, through gritted teeth. We might not say, because we've been trained not to, that we hate them, uh, we might smile at them with gritted teeth. We might avoid talking to them. We might think bad thoughts about them, but keep it in our heads. Um, we might say, well, we're not hating them, but are we loving them is the question. And would John think this is okay? Well, I doubt it, because the measure here again is Jesus. Uh, there's all this talk in these verses and it might have confused you about old commandments and new commandments and you're thinking, make your mind up, is it an old commandment or is it a new commandment? What's he, what's he talking about? Well, I think John's got in mind um, the words of Jesus uh, that he's recorded in his gospel in John 13, 34, where Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By the way, that's why it's an old and a new command. It's an old command because they've heard it before and yet Jesus gave it as a new commandment, a new way of living. That's why he uses old and new in that way. But the point is that Jesus is the standard for love. Jesus says, if you want to know how you're going, if you want to know how to love your brothers and sisters, love them in the way that I have loved you. Um, so, well, I don't hate them, and they're not my favourite, um, doesn't really cut it, does it, against the standard that Jesus gives us. Walking in the light means loving our brothers and sisters like Jesus loves them, modelling our love on his love. And so the test and measure is not how we go against other people and the fact that we haven't killed anybody, uh, is actually... What does Jesus' love look like when we look at the person of Jesus and how do we model ourselves on that? And John reinforces that in verse 8 when he says, its truth is seen in him, that is, in Jesus, and in you 
because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Jesus has brought a radical new way of living into the world. It is the way of light in contrast to the darkness that we see in the world. He's done it through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. And this darkness, this other way of living is passing away. That is not the way of the future. Jesus has broken in a new way of living and it will last into eternity. And so he's saying, walk in that way now. The dark ways are passing. Don't just go along with what you see around you as the standard of love. Look at Jesus, which is the true way, the future way, the real way to love, and walk in that way. Shine as a light in the world. Stand out by the way that you love other people. It will look different. It should look different because it's modelled on Jesus. So as someone who is seeking to walk in the light, here's the question. How are you going with your love for your brothers and sisters? Does our love for each other shine out? Is it different? Is it noticeable? If you're a visitor here today, let me ask this question of you. Do you see anything different amongst this group of people when you're gathered here today and at morning tea after the service that stands out as different and any different way of living that you might see down the shops or at the footy club or anywhere else? Because it should look different if we are followers of Jesus and seeking to love like he loves. Uh, We spent last term thinking about being peacemakers, dealing with conflict when it arises in healthy and godly ways. Uh, Maybe you heard all that stuff. Maybe there's something still ticking away in your head about a relationship that you haven't dealt with amongst other Christian people here and you just haven't done anything about it yet. This is another gentle nudge, a nudge from John to say, Living in the light means loving your brothers and sisters. It means dealing with issues that arise together. It means modelling yourself on Jesus in the way that we treat each other. Jesus sets a high standard for the Christian community. Um, It's not the lowest common denominator of just doing whatever we see around us. It's a lofty standard of love, a love modelled on Jesus. So that's the second test. Do you love one another? And the third test... Uh, for walking in the light is in verses 18 to 27. And the question asked there is, are you continuing to believe the truth about Jesus? Uh, It's really what you might call the doctrine test. Uh, It's summed up in verses 21 and 22 best, I think. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Now, when you hear that term, Antichrist, you might have visions in your head of a Hollywood movie with someone who is the epitome of evil and their head spins around and they have evil powers. Uh, Sometimes we have this kind of strange view of what that term Antichrist means. But really, at its basic, uh, anti just means opposed to. So uh, Antichrist is someone who is opposed to Jesus, uh, who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Uh, John actually, in verse 18, uses the term both in a singular and a plural sense. He says, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. So, you know, there could be this dominant future figure who is this evil figure, really strongly opposed, powerfully opposed to Jesus. But he's saying, you know, there's, there's antichrists all around. Uh, it's really just someone who would oppose Jesus, and particularly in this sense, uh, who he is. 
John says. Because John says that the liar or the antichrist is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. What does that mean? Well, it's a shorthand, it seems, and you can put the pieces together through John's letter. But basically he is saying um, that there is this group of people who've probably walked out of the church that John is writing to, and this group of people is denying the fact that Jesus is actually God's son, God himself, who has come in human flesh to live in the world uh, and to die for us. Um, So really they are denying the reality of Jesus that he is both fully God, 100% God, and fully human, 100% human. Uh, Most likely they're downplaying the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is fully God, saying maybe that he's, he's a good man or he's an inspired leader and teacher, he's a powerful prophetic voice, but he's not the eternal son of God who's become human in order to rescue us. Uh, people do this all the time with Jesus. Uh, maybe actually uh, for someone who's here today, this is a bit of a sticking point for you as you think about Jesus. You like Jesus, you like the things he has to say, but it's a bit far to believe that this, this guy was actually God himself who's come to live amongst us. Um, I understand the challenge of believing that and I encourage you to keep examining the question of Jesus and who he is. Keep looking at the teaching of Jesus and what he says about himself. But what we cannot do is lessen this claim about him, the uniqueness of the Christian faith. Uh, Because the entire Christian faith really depends on this reality about the person of Jesus, that he is in fact God the Son, fully God, who has come to earth in order to rescue us. Uh, We're about to celebrate Christmas in one month's time, and that's exactly what we celebrate at Christmas time that in the Christmas event, in the birth of Jesus, God himself, the eternal God, has entered our world as a human being to show us how to live and to rescue us. Uh, And without this truth, without this reality that Jesus is in fact fully God in human flesh, he cannot deal with our sins, he cannot draw us back into relationship with God and give us the eternal life that is offered to us. John wants us to be very clear about this. He says in verses 22 and 23 that if you downplay the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is fully God, then you deny the Father, God the Father, and God the Son. He says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. The only way to a relationship with God is through his Son, Jesus Christ. There is no relationship with God apart from Jesus. So if you start denying the truth about Jesus, who is the one who brings us into relationship with God, if you start downplaying who he is as God's son, um, you don't just get a different Christianity. You don't even get a reduced version of Christianity. The entire structure of the Christian faith collapses. It's like pulling out the bottom block out of a tower if you start denying the reality of the divinity of Christ. Christianity depends on it. It depends on the reality that Jesus is fully God and fully human, come into our world in order to model the life that humans are to live and to rescue us from our departure from God's ways. So this final test that John gives us, uh, walking in the light, is a challenge about are you continuing to believe these truths about Jesus? 
Now again, if you're here with us today and you're investigating Christianity still, you're still investigating who Jesus is, um, can I encourage you to just to keep asking that question? Read through one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and have a think about it. Uh, for Christian people seeking to walk in the light, keep examining and questioning, am I continuing to hold to the truths about Jesus or am I starting to deny or downplay who he is? Now, of course, you know, it's normal to have doubts. It is normal to ask questions. Uh, and church should be a place where you can express your doubts, ask your questions. It should be a safe space uh, to do that. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. If this is something that you're starting to doubt or wrestle with, uh, ask those questions. Don't be silent. Keep wrestling with the question and what the Bible says. Keep looking at the person of Jesus. But what John is saying is that the questions are not inconsequential. They matter. They are really important questions. What we believe about Jesus is vitally important. And so he says in verse 24, As for you, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. What you've heard about Jesus, what was maybe said at your baptism that you have been following through your life, make sure that it remains in you, those truths about Jesus. Go the whole distance with him. Don't start downplaying and denying Jesus now. Don't start to follow a reduced version of the good news that you've heard and followed. Keep walking in the light. Keep upholding who Jesus is, the reality of him, as the eternal God who has entered our world as a human being to rescue us. John wants us to walk in the light. He wants us to walk in the light by continuing to obey God's commandments out of love and relationship with God. He wants us to keep loving each other, expressing our relationship by radically different ways of loving. And he wants us to do it by maintaining our belief in Jesus, God's Son, who has come in human flesh to rescue us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do care about the way that we live and our relationship with you. Thank you that you do call us to live in a different way, to walk in the light, to shine as a light in the world. And so please uh, challenge us wherever we're at today uh, in terms of our relationship with you, uh, how we're going with the commands that you have given us to live and to follow the way that we are loving each other. Please highlight any areas where we are not displaying the love of Jesus in our own life for others. Uh, and please keep challenging us to look at Jesus, to examine his life, to think about who he is, uh, and to keep following him as the eternal God in human flesh. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.